Hallelujah. What a Savior. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He's with us until the end. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do sing praise and thank you for your Son. What a Savior. Oh, Lord, thank you. We would be lost and groping around in the dark and with no hope of finding you. And yet you found us. You loved us. You sent your Son to redeem us. You freed us. You gave us your Holy Spirit to guide us and to help us and to sanctify us. Oh Lord, thank you. We pray now that your word would accomplish that which you intend, that you'd bless your people even through the foolishness of preaching. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Acts chapter 17. We continue to march through Acts. There's a programming, Eric is very familiar with this, and others of you who dabble in programming, called Divide and Conquer. And sometimes you'll get an assignment for programming, and you think about the total project, and you think, there's no way, this is impossible. You start thinking of all the various things that are going to have to be coded, and it's too overwhelming. You think, just give up, we're not going to be able to do it. But then you say, well, I could do this part. I could make the menu part. And then I guess I could put some buttons that work. I know how to do those. And you do one thing, one thing, little, little, little. And before you know it, you've accomplished the task that seemed impossible. Well, sometimes it feels that way as we go through books, especially large books at the beginning. You know, think John, like we're going to be in John for a long time. But you know what? We went through it. And so we're marching our way through Acts. It's, I have a way further appreciation for the cities and the names and the paths that they took on these missionary journeys. It's been, it's been really good. I hope it has been for you too. Last time we talked about the end of chapter 16. Um, they were still in the place where Lydia had her heart opened by the Lord to pay attention, and they were going on a different day to that same place of prayer where they had met her originally. And remember, they were met by a slave girl that had some sort of demonic power and was able to tell the future, some sort of prophetic powers. Definitely a a skill that earned her masters money. People would pay them to hear what she had to say. And she kept following them, saying, these are ministers of the Most High God. And they, the text says, Paul being annoyed after many days of this. Finally, he's like, okay, she's beginning to be a hindrance. Somehow, if people think that we're associated with her, we're not. And he commands the Spirit to leave the girl And it does. And as we see again and again, the Jews, listen, there are lots of, when I say Jews, in this case, I don't mean the leadership, but just Jews in general. Lots of them were 
open-minded, and even strong believers in Jesus. But the leaders are often envious, jealous, desirous of power, worried about financial loss if they let this movement continue. And we see it also among the Gentiles. Money. Money. The, the promise of eternal life with God in the future or money in the present. And you know the problem that humans have with delayed gratification. Wait! That's a four-letter word. Wait? It's very difficult. And these people would rather have the money. They don't believe in the future. Whatever. Give me the money now. Seeing that their hope of future profits from this slave girl is now lost because Paul cast the evil demon out of her, they stir up the crowd. Again, we've seen this multiple times in Acts, and we'll see it multiple times today. They seize Paul and Silas. They take them to the local police, the magistrates. They want to calm the crowd, so they had Paul and Silas mistreated. The text says they were beaten with rods publicly. And what do you think this did to the, the um, reputation of these gospel preachers? They're preaching the word. The crowd is stirred up against them. They're beaten publicly. Do you think people were like, man, those Christians, those are some good folks. Or do they think, these guys are terrible. Look what's happening. They're in prison. They're locked up. No trial. Not even a hearing to let them explain their side of the story. But if you remember, God is merciful to them. They're praying and singing. There's an earthquake. The doors are magically unlocked. The jailer thinks everyone has escaped. He decides to kill himself, but the Apostles say, don't harm yourself, we're in here. And this is very moving to him. Immediately he wants to know, what must he do to be saved? And they tell him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. To to follow on what we talked about this morning. He is the only remaining sacrifice for sin. Believe on the name of the Lord. You'll be saved. Otherwise, no. You're lost without hope forever. They preach this to him. They tell him the gospel. And he believes. And not only does he believe in word, his attitude changes. These men who have been beaten, and it seems like not even had their wounds addressed at all, just beaten and thrown in a cell, he takes them and washes their wounds and helps them. And he's baptized along with his household, who also heard the word and believed. The magistrates, they think this over and they say, okay, go tell the jailer to let them go. That's enough. We beat them publicly. Everybody knows now these guys are no good. Stay away from them. And so the jailer tells Paul, and he says, no, we're not going to slip away quietly. They have ruined our reputation for the gospel. They've beaten us without trial. Don't they know we're Romans? 
We're not slipping away. Let them come down here publicly and apologize. Can you imagine such a demand? I mean, the Roman law did not allow this to happen, what they did to these two men, without an official inquiry. The magistrates find out they're Roman citizens, and the text says they were afraid when they heard this. And they apologized. They, they gave in to Paul's demands. And now they're set free, and everyone knows publicly, oh, okay, they were wronged in that. This is not a bad mark on the church of God. This is a bad mark on the people who beat them with no trial. But they still ask them to leave. (laughs) After all that, the text says, we're sorry. Could you please leave? And so they leave the prison. They go to see Lydia and the rest of the young believers there. That, that brings us to today's section. We'll read 1 through 15. But we'll also read some passages in Thessalonians. <clears throat> now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money, As security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Amen. 
So they continue west. If you remember that Paul had a vision of somebody in Macedonia saying, come help us. If you remember, the Spirit had forbidden them to go into some other areas that were a lot closer. Plenty of people in those areas. But the Spirit led them to Macedonia. And so they went to Philippi and now they're continuing west um, through um, Amphipolis, Apollonia, and then finally to Thessalonica. All these cities are on something called the Ignatius Way, a, a very um, widely used path. And each city was about a day's walk from each other. So fairly close together, all three of these. Verse 2, Paul goes to the synagogue. Listen, he has a heart for Gentiles. Paul has a heart for Gentiles. But that's not to say that he doesn't really want the Jews to believe. He does. Every time almost that we read, the first thing he does, he says, where are the Jews? I want to go to them and tell them the Messiah has come. I want to reason with them and prove to them so that they'll believe and be saved. He goes there, we're told, in Thessalonica, at least three different Sabbath days. Three minimum. And he reasoned with them, and he's probably there much longer than that. Um, if we turn, let's turn over to Thessalonians. Turn over to Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to read a little bit of a section, but... I'm convinced that the Word of God, our desire is to be like the early church, not in, not in immaturity, but in um, closeness to the apostles. And how would they have taught? Most of the time with readings. People wouldn't have had a copy of themselves. They would listen. Let's start. 1 Thessalonians 1, Paul... Sylvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalon- um, Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Grace to you and peace. Typical greeting. Two, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's saying all this stuff about the church that we just read about in Acts chapter 17. He went there, reasoned with them three days, 
This Jesus I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them are persuaded and joined Paul and a great many of devout Greeks and not a few leading women. That is the beginning of the church in Thessalonica. Chapter 2, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. Remember, the vision. We went there because of this vision. It was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, right? They had just been beaten with rods in Philippi for preaching. As you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Right? They come to grab Paul and Silas, but they're unable to find them. They grab Jason and a few brothers instead. In the meantime, Paul and Silas and Timothy are slipping away, going to Berea, where they immediately go to the synagogue and start preaching. Having just been beaten with rods, probably not healed yet. Verse 4, but just as we, excuse me, 3, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own child. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us." Let's go on to verse 17 of chapter 2. Since you were torn away from us, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. It seems like they were not there a short time. And if it was a very short time, then they had a huge impression on the Apostle Paul. And we're not sure, we'll get to this in a minute, but yeah, let's just go on with our exposition. Um, Verse 3, explaining to them that it was necessary It was necessary for Christ to suffer. This is a problem that the Jews resisted. This idea of Messiah suffering. They're wrong about this. They rightly believed that the Messiah would bring peace. How? By crushing the enemies. There will be peace for Israel. All things will be made right. Messiah will come and he will show who's boss. And since we're his people, we'll have peace on all sides. They're right about that. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to the Messiah. 
But what they don't understand is he's also the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice. He's the king, yes. He's the priest, yes. He's the Lamb. The Lamb must be slaughtered. Without the Lamb, there is no forgiveness of sins. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. It has to be repeated again and again. We've been going over this so much. The priests die and new ones come in. That's not good enough. But also, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. It's necessary for Jesus to suffer. It's been prophesied. Psalm 22, is that not about the Messiah? Isaiah 51, he bore our sins and griefs and was crushed. Even Genesis 3.15, right? The serpent will bruise his heel and he will bruise the serpent's head. Is that not a prophecy of the serpent afflicting the son? He reasons with them in the scriptures. Three, explaining and proving it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He shows them those scriptures. Surely this is part of the reason why some of the Jews rejected Jesus. They, they saw all the signs he was doing. He can feed 5,000 people with a handful of food. He can calm a raging storm with just a word. He can heal people who've been that way their whole lives. He can cast out demons. Even the demons are afraid. They admire him greatly. But when it comes to his gentleness and riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, not as a conquering king, but meek and mild, they, they can't accept this. They can't accept this. And what they don't understand is God is overcoming all the enemies this way. All the enemies are being destroyed because of Jesus' sacrifice of himself. They reason. They prove. He is the Christ. Let me show you in the scriptures the things that you don't like about Jesus. It's prophesied in the scriptures that the Messiah would have those characteristics. That he would be persecuted. That he would suffer. Well, what happens? Verse 4, some of them were persuaded. These are Jews that he's been reasoning in the synagogues for weeks now, right? Three different Sabbaths that are mentioned specifically, but for weeks, some of them are persuaded and join Paul and Silas. They, they become believers. As did a great many devout Greeks. How many? I don't know how many a great many Greeks are, but it seems like a good amount. God is blessing their preaching and their ministry. 
Some of the Jews are believing. A great many devout Greeks also leading women too. God's blessing that. The vision that Paul had from the Spirit saying, come help us in Macedonia is bearing fruit. People are being saved and God is being glorified. And so we're in the midst of another pattern of preaching, persuading, conversions happening. And what's the next part of our pattern? Opposition arises. Verse 5, But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, setting the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. This is very hypocritical. But as I said earlier, this is the great stumbling block from the Jews, for the Jews. Envy, jealousy, it's what led them to persecute Jesus. You remember they said to Pilate, he's, he's bad. We wouldn't have brought him before you if he wasn't bad. What do you think? We're evil? We just have people crucified for no reason? He's bad. And the text says that Pilate did not believe them and saw that it was because of envy that they had handed him over. Envy, jealousy, they're losing money, they're losing power, they're losing social standing They stir up trouble. They form a mob. They cause lots of commotion in the city. Notice this. It's not Paul and Silas that are stirring up this big commotion. It's not. They're reasoning. They're going to the synagogue. Some are persuaded. But we're not told that there's a mob and an uproar and a riot happening. The jealous Jews formed the mob. They set the city in an uproar and they attacked the house of Jason. And we'll see later their accusations. It's a complete lie. Verse 6, so they're looking for Paul and Silas, but they can't find them. So they take Jason and some other brothers there, and they take them before the city authorities. This is the end of verse 6. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They're turning the world upside down. They, they're saying more than they realize, right? They actually are turning the world upside down, but not in a riotous way. I mean, in, in a way, their statement says that they did understand the gospel that they were preaching. They're teaching there's another king, Jesus. Messiah, right? Anointed one. Christ, right? King. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And verse 9 is very interesting. When they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. I don't really understand what this money is for. Did they say, Jason, you need to give us a security deposit. Give us the deed to your property saying this is not going to go on anymore. And if you don't hold on to your end, we're going to keep it. Not sure what's going on here exactly. What money for security for what? What was promised? What was commanded? What was demanded? Verse 
from them. Don't know. Is it like getting out on bond when, when people go to jail and you have to pay money to get out? I'm not sure exactly. It seems like they had, they told them, Jason told them, don't worry, this isn't going to happen anymore. I'm not sure. It's difficult to determine. And some will say, you know, when we read in Thessalonians a minute ago where Paul said, I desired to come to you again and again, but I was hindered. Is this part of the hindrance? Like there's some sort of an official agreement that Jason and them had to make that said they wouldn't come and preach there? I'm not sure. But anyway, they're let go. Verse 10, the brothers send Paul and Silas away by night. We don't know where they've been hiding out while this mob has been looking for them and can't find them. But when Jason and them get out, they know where they are, and they take them and send them out of the city quickly. Then they go to Berea. And we've heard this all the time, right? Be like the Bereans. And why, why do we want to be like them? Why do we want to be like them? Well, the text tells us. Um, verse 10, they came by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. What things? I, I think the same thing that happened in Thessalon- Thessalonica, where he was proving to them and showing them that it's necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And they looked into the things that he talked to them about. It wouldn't be as easy as it is for us, right? If I say, in Genesis 3.15, it proves it. Well, you could whip out a phone right then and type it in and go, what's Genesis 3? Oh, hmm. That wouldn't be, wouldn't be quite so easy, right? They would have to go dig around and see what, what passages is he referring to. They were more noble. They received the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. You know, you might say, well, the Jews were very knowledgeable about the scriptures and they would just know what it is that he was referencing. I don't think so. They had to go back and check on it again, remind themselves. What is he talking about? Isaiah 51? It wouldn't even be 51, right? Isaiah, let's read through there. What, what part is he talking about? Verse 12, many of them therefore believed. Right? Why did they believe? What's the therefore for? They believed because they were examining the scriptures with sincerity, with eagerness. And after they examined them, they determined these men are not lying. They're telling us the truth. He is the Messiah. It is necessary for him to suffer. He is the Lamb of God, but he can't stay dead. If he stays dead, then he's like the other priests who live and then die. He must be raised from the dead. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. This is interesting, but, you know, women had... Very important roles in Roman society. 
We're told twice in the last few verses, women of high standing became believers, as well as men. And what do we have? What's happening again? So they've gone to the next city. They've preached the word. The fruit is happening. Jews are being converted. Verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. You know, it's one thing, it's one level of evil to reject the gospel. And it's a second level of evil to not only reject it yourself, but to hinder others from believing it. To cause a stumbling block for them, right? Didn't Jesus say it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea than to do such a thing? It's not that they just hinder it in their town. They go to the next town and hinder it there too. When they hear they've gone to Berea, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Why is it that they're doing this? I mean, the, the, the explicit thing that we're told in this chapter is that they were jealous. I'm sure there's other things at work also. But explicitly, they didn't like to see what was happening. So we see fruitful ministry in both places, Thessalonica, Berea, people coming to faith after hearing the scriptures explained to them. Not just in general, but that the scriptures point to Christ. Is it possible for you for you to read the scriptures and not see Christ? And to just read over it like words on a page and just... I mean, there are things that we do out of habit, and those things are good, such as a daily reading schedule. It's great. You should do it. I encourage you to do it. But each time you do it, you still have to say, God, open my understanding. Help me to actually think about what I'm reading. I do want to have a habit of reading with your word every day, but I also want to have a habit of meditating on that word and thinking about it, and believing more firmly, deeper than before. Verse 14, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. So they're they're getting him out of town. They're getting Paul out of town, We are told, verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. So they take him to Athens, and then he tells them, tell Silas and Timothy to come here as soon as possible and meet me. So he's been, you know, sent out of town quickly by his friends, gets to Athens and says, hey, when you go back, tell them to come join me. 
And that sets up the, the sermon of Paul in Athens. That's why he's there by himself for a time, because the brothers have not rejoined him yet. We'll pick up there next time. What these apostles did again and again is to tell people that Jesus is the Christ. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, believe in Him. God will be merciful. But if you don't, what hope is there left? There's no hope left. There's great hope with Christ. But a rejection of Him, there's no hope. Can I appeal to you? Can I persuade you? Come to Christ and be reconciled. God is merciful. He will have mercy. Of all who come to Him, this Bible says, He will cast out none. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank You again for this um, look at the early ministry of the Apostles and the um, setting up of all these churches. Oh Lord, thank You for the way that You worked in those cities and the way that many people came to Christ. And really those conversions led to Christianity spreading throughout the world and even all the way to our time and our land. Father, we pray that You'd be merciful to our neighbors and co-workers and friends and family. And that you'd help us to be ministers of reconciliation. That these things that we know about and we care about, that we could share them. Help us to do that, Lord. And we pray that you would help it to be fruitful. For your glory, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.